0: It's August 12th, 2020, and welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, we're going to have Ellen Ng from HTDC, and uh, she is here to tell us about the upcoming Women in Tech series, and it's an interview with Col- Colleen Milbury. And then uh, we'll be joined by Deb Sosha from. The Enterprise Center all the way in Chattanooga, Tennessee and we're going to be talking about 5G and the future of communications and now of course I want to welcome by phone Ellen Heng from HTDC, Hawaii Technology Development Corporations and And of course they got a series called Women in Technology and there's something new coming up so welcome to the show Ellen.
1: Hi, thanks for having
0: me Bert. Now this series has been going on for a little while so uh, I know this is not the first one but mm-hmm. What uh, what do we have in store for I guess coming up next week Wednesday?
1: So next week Wednesday we are going to be really excited to um, speak to Colleen Milbury. She's the uh, data analytics manager with First Hawaiian Bank, and as you know, you know data science and data an- analytics is a growing, a rapidly growing field, and you know very exciting for a lot of people who. Are thinking of venturing into that space, mm-hmm. so we hope you know people can join us for this session to learn more about what Colleen does, especially uh, transitioning from academia into the
0: corporate world. So, uh, as you went out and and sought people to participate in in your series, I mean, did you did you find that there are a, a lot of uh, uh, data science uh, folks out there in the in the industry? Of course, banking is is uh, I think would would really need it as well as uh, maybe. Um, like the uh, insurance business and and healthcare. Uh so are there are there now growing it's a growing demand for that uh that uh, particular job qualification?
1: Uh yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. So when we spoke to Colleen actually, one of the difficulties she faced uh she faces as a woman in data science is the lack of uh, you know, women in this space mm-hmm. um right now especially here in Hawaii. But I think, you know, uh, even across um, a lot of industries um, outside of Hawaii. So even in her own team, I believe at First Hawaiian Bank, uh, she's probably one of the few female um, technologists working in uh, data science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why, you know, we, we wanted to highlight roles like this um, that could encourage probably the future generation to consider um, going to the field as well.
0: Well, you know, there's uh, there's um, newly established data science curriculum over at the uh, university. I think they have the data science institute, and then um, Chaminade also has a, a da- data science uh, curriculum as well. So, I know the universities are are picking up uh, steam on producing mm-hmm. more data science qualified uh, graduates.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, so yeah, I, but I think go ahead. yeah,
1: it's interesting uh, because when we're talking to Colleen, you know, I think. Um, People kind of don't really understand what data science is and they don't really understand how it's being applied, you know, in uh, real-world applications, especially in corporations and Mm -hmm. the value that it brings. People understand that data is important, but how do you use it? And, you know, how does it guide business decision-making? I think it's something that we want to highlight and hopefully through that understanding, it makes it, uh, you know, demystifies what data science is and it makes it more approachable, even for, especially for girls who are looking into STEM um, education.
0: You know, that's a that's a good point because, you know, the uh, types of, of um, maybe pathways that you could traditionally go down, whether it's engineering or physics or, you know, getting into robotics, uh, data science is, is a little um, new. And I think trying to wrap your mind around, okay, so what is it that I have to do to be a, a, a data scientist? And, and once I become one, I mean, what is it that I can use those skills for? And uh, you're right. I mean, I think, uh, uh, it's, it's an educational process, but, you know, I think a lot of people now, especially in the, in the, for the fact that we're into this, uh, kind of pandemic mode, a lot of, a lot of what is being done is being determined by the, the data, right? I mean, the data is what's informing mm-hmm. how we, <laughs> how we proceed in, in situations. And I think uh, people are realizing that the uh, data is really important on informing our decision. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the the capacity to wrangle data and present it in a digestible format and basically educating the public on what does this mean, right? It's, you know, communication is one of the biggest um, skill sets that Colleen actually brought up when I first spoke with her. Mm -hmm. Um, The ability to communicate clearly and to uh, ask good questions are um, two things that she brought up that were essential to being a good data scientist, but... You know, Of course, to learn more about what she thinks and what her job entails, um, definitely join us for this webinar next
0: So week. the webinar uh, is on Wednesday, and it's from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. So uh, I-, I want you to share wh- where do people go to-, to actually sign up for this?
1: Uh, so we actually have a uh, woman in Tech page on our website. Mm-hmm. So it's htdc.org slash women dash in dash tech.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And uh, if you go to the web page, you know there's um, there's a banner that will lead you to the Eventbrite site where you can RSVP for your um, kind of ticket or seat for the webinar next week.
0: And before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to tell us a little bit about this uh, workforce recovery initiative that uh, you've got going over there.
1: Um, yeah. So HTDC, you know, we actually because of this pandemic, we partnered with uh, Costa Rica, and to Facilitate the rollout of Coursera's um, online learning courses for the you know local people here in Hawaii. Of course, being you know the Hawaii Technology Development Corporation, we focus a lot on the technology courses that are on Coursera.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, however, I think for people can actually go and take other courses in business um, as well as um, other soft skills like negotiation. The best part is you get to take these courses for free uh, with the certification that comes with it. Uh, up until december thirty first twenty
0: twenty so you can take is there a limit on how many courses you can take and and will the course be done by you know if you take it uh i guess uh however quickly you can take it i mean it's gotta you gotta have it all completed by the thirty first right
1: correct so you there is no limit you can take as many courses as you want which is great um the only thing is if you don't want to be paying for your courses you have to finish it by december thirty first uh twenty twenty
0: very good and and uh, where can people find out more about that
1: Um, You can find it through our website as well, htdc.org, under the COVID tab.
0: Sounds good. And I'll put that up on our show notes for later on. Thanks, Ellen, for joining us. Yep. Thank you, Bert, for having us. Okay. And we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Deb Sosha, And uh, she's going to be talking about the Enterprise Center and about 5G, something that I'm interested in. And of course, this is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows.
3: Mahalo to contributors, the Kahala Hotel and Resort, and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training.
0: Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm happy to welcome Deb Sosha. She's the president and CEO from the Enterprise Center over in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and she's stayed up late just to call us and of course we're going to be talking about innovation 5g and some of the things that they do over at the enterprise center and uh deb i want to welcome you to bite mark's cafe
3: well thanks for inviting me i'm really happy to be here
0: now just by way of uh background you know it's not like i just called deb up uh, and looked in the phone book or something <laughs> you know she she and i met on a a um Internet Society trip that was for the Indigenous Connectivity Summit. This was back in 2018, and uh, we we got the, the privilege of going up to Inuvik, um, and and um, that's where they conducted the the innovation of the Indigenous Connectivity Summit back in 2018. Now I was hoping Deb that you would have made it over to Hawaii for the 2019 conference, but uh, I didn't I didn't see you there.
3: Love to have been there, but I had just started a new job. Yeah, I, when when
0: I met you, you were with uh, Next Century Cities, right? And um, right, tell us a little bit about. Well, t- tell us more about you know what you do at this uh, enterprise center.
3: Sure. So we have three significant areas of focus. One of them is the Chattanooga Smart Community Collaborative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a group of folks that we convene. It's uh, it's. Energy folks, it's the universities, it's hospitals, um, it's a wide variety of different folks who are working on smart uh, city innovations. So, you know, we have a mile of censored um, streets and uh, we're doing lots of research. It's really very interesting. And we focus on energy and um, transportation and healthcare in particular then the second thing is we actually um, work on the innovation district. We manage all of the um, sort of events that help to energize the innovation district in Chattanooga.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, we run things like Ecosystem Days to teach people about all of the available resources. We help to uh, connect entrepreneurs to uh, those resources. And we're particularly interested in diversifying the entrepreneurial uh, ecosystem and figuring out how to get more folks of color and more women involved as innovators. And then the third area is digital inclusion. And we run a program called Tech Goes Home that provides a Chromebook, 15 hours of training and support to get low-cost home access to all of those families that go through our program. Well, and that's, recently
0: oh go ahead. Oh no no that's that sounds great and, and uh how I'm curious, how does uh the Enterprise Center it's an independent nonprofit, right?
3: It is indeed.
0: And, and and how does that get sustained?
3: Well, we are really lucky that the the city and the county provide us with funds and then of course like any other nonprofit, we have to raise funds. Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. So,
3: you know, we're pretty busy doing all of the above, um, but it is a, a really nice opportunity. I did want to mention the most recent announcement that got, got made in Chattanooga that I'm pretty proud of. Sure, uh, yes. We are part of a coalition of of folks, including EPB, which is the Electric Power Board. They provide our Internet and our, and our electricity here. So, for example, I have a gigabit symmetrical. And I pay under $70 a month for it. Really? So, <laughs> oh, that's great. Yes, I do. And then also Hamilton County Schools and the city and the county, the Enterprise Center and Philanthropy are all working together to connect every single uh, student who has free or reduced lunch with free home access, 100 megabits symmetrical, so upload and download. So that's our big challenge and our big project. Um, and it's an important one right now.
0: So, so tell me, how did that how did that come about? Was it was it the uh, obviously it had to be a collaborative effort, but uh, you know what what was the, the force of nature that brought that all together?
3: Well, you know, I think it you know it seems like it all came together just now, but these conversations have been happening for years. Um, the head of EPB, David Wade, is really passionate about this work mm-hmm. and has really been looking for ways to make this happen. Our city leadership, uh, the city and county mayors, have been really passionate about this, So, and philanthropy, of course, because they really want to see the families have home connections, especially right now. So it, it just all, um, this pandemic just pushed people into action a lot quicker than what we probably would have gotten without
0: it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know we have the same situation. I mean, there was a recent announcement by our uh, Department of Education that all of the students uh, until I think well into well into September are going to be all distance learning so the the challenge is okay so how do how do we accommodate all the variable or variety of ways that people are connected or not connected and and you folks seem to have kind of figured this out in a really um, novel way in, in Chattanooga.
3: Yeah, it is pretty exciting. And I, I think it's one of the benefits of having local control over your broadband, right? Mm-hmm. That um, I used to tell folks when I was at Next Century Cities, you know, when you own your broadband locally, your idea of profit is different than the profit a large ISP has to make, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To us, profit is people are successful people can do their work from home they can learn from home you know they can provide opportunities um that can't happen without internet and so that can be your profit it doesn't have to be a wide financial profit margin
0: mhm mhm i'm i'm impressed that uh, epb has has been able to get the rates for gigabit and i think what you said gigabit symmetric uh, at 70 yeah. dollars i mean
3: yeah, it's like under something... seventy. <laughs> but you know what the best part for me is having lived in different places around the country is that if I call them, a person answers the phone and helps me. I don't go through 30 people before I get an answer. Wow. I get an actual human being. And the other piece that I found really interesting when I got here was they don't have any added fees. You know, you get that. A big ISP says, oh, it's eighty nine ninety five, but then by the time they add all the fees on it, it's $120. Mm-hmm, right?
2: mm-hmm.
3: There's nothing like that here. When they say it's under $70, it's under
0: $70. How long has EPB like been that. around? <laughs> and, and you know, there's always the fear that, you know, you let government uh, take care of your utility and, and they may, may or may not be, you know, very... Um, um, uh, let 's say proficient at at delivering the service uh, how did how did they build to this level of of customers' response and customer service
3: you know, i i hear i I hear often people saying government can 't handle these things, but we 've been doing sewer projects and water projects and road projects forever right mm-hmm. this isn 't all that different than that right It is a big project we can handle it. Um, but for EPB, it really started out with an effort to create a smart grid for their electric system. Mm-hmm. And once they had that all built out, they realized how close they were to being able to service every home and so just took that next step.
2: Wow,
0: that's great. I, and it sounds uh, really forward-thinking and, and almost uh, you know, very entrepreneurial on the part of uh, EPB. They,
3: they're very entrepreneurial, yeah. Well,
0: uh, that's uh, very encouraging, and I, I think uh, uh, you and I may have some uh, conversations uh, offline, but uh, I do want to kind of talk a little bit about uh, something that I, I was following some of your posts on a, uh, a listserv, and it was put out by or basically managed by the um, National Di- uh, national Digital Inclusion, I think it's what, Association or? A-
3: alliance.
0: alliance. Alliance, alliance Yeah. yeah. And and um, there was a, a thread on, on 5G. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of discussion going on uh, within our community, I think across the country, in fact, across the world about 5G deployment. And I, I wanted to get somebody that is um, maybe independent of, of the technology, not a carrier, um, somebody that mm-hmm. is looking at innovation but also is looking at it, you know, with, with eyes uh, wide open in, in terms of uh what is 5G and, and what is its capable, capability of, of delivering? And maybe what we can start off with is, uh, Deb, can you give us like a level set on what 5G is?
3: So It's fifth generation wireless. Mm-hmm. Um, it is mostly going to be carried over millimeter waves. Um, it requires backhaul. Uh, a really smart man once told me. That wireless doesn't mean it's wireless. It means it's one wire less.
2: <laughs> right, and right. So we,
3: we still need that fiber for backhaul.
2: Right. Um,
3: what The good thing about it is that um, because it is millimeter waves, it can carry a ton of data. hmm What it can't do is propagate well. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it can't go through leaves. It can't go through skin. It can't go through people. It can't go through trees. Or walls, right? So it mean, that means that they have to be put really close together, the antennas. You have to have a lot of them mm-hmm. in order for this to work. And so uh, lots of data, not really good at distance or propagation.
0: And when you say millimeter wave, what frequency are you, are you kind of uh, thinking about?
3: And you'd have to ask me that question, Bert. I'd have to look it up. I can't tell you the answer to Well, that. so
0: I, I guess part of what I understand 5G being is that it, it actually is is a protocol, and it, it runs, uh, is able to run across a wide fairly wide spectrum of frequencies, you know, from uh, hundreds of, of uh, megahertz all the way to, I don't know, I think it was like 300 gigahertz or something. And that the millimeter wave is somewhere around the... I think the the twenty to thirty to forty um, mm-hmm. uh, gigahertz, and 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 that's where you you run into this um, sp- uh, propagation issues because of the right. small you know the, that's why they call it millimeter wave because I think it's about the size of a millimeter and uh, uh, you know a millimeter is probably about the size of a raindrop right and so it's gonna it's gonna have interference right. with uh, with small objects like that so so with um, but with the benefit of I think one of the things that I think people uh, need to understand is that at the at the millimeter wave and at the high you know the giga, gigahertz speeds that's where you get your bandwidth you get a lot of you get the the potential right. for gigabits per second at the lots uh, of data right and if you if you if you're talking right. about uh, let's say um, at the lower gigahertz I mean you're still at the hundreds of of uh, megabits per second
3: is that right? You're asking me a science question. <laughs> now, I, I'm a science teacher. i under, I taught science for years, but that is a question beyond my skill set. Well, what I can tell you is about um the capacity for the data to be carried, right? So, in the millimeter waves, it can carry tons of data with low latency.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Other parts of spectrum cannot carry as much data, but they can carry it further and it has better propagation. Right,
0: right. right. Well, you know, Deb, I do want to get more into this and, and, and maybe talk a little bit about some of the applications that 5G enables. Uh, so what we will do is... Uh, We'll take a short break, and we will return and continue our conversation with Deb Socha from the Enterprise Center all the way in Chattanooga, Tennessee. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Ekahi Health, Ulupono Initiative, and The Hub Coworking Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Burt Lum, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to Deb Sosha. She's the president and CEO of the Enterprise Center in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And of course, right before the break, we got started into our discussion about five G. and And maybe I'm, I'm I'm making things confusing, but you know, I think uh, what I was trying to point out was that you know the five G protocol could actually run on a variety of different uh, uh, frequencies from from the hundreds of megahertz all the way to the, the, the gigahertz uh, ranges. And depending on which, let's say, frequency you're using and the hardware that you're using, you'll have different propagation characteristics mm-hmm. and different uh, uh, bandwidth um, delivery. And, of course, what, what I think, Deb, what, what you're describing is that if you start to look at the deployment and, let's say, you're outside and you, you, you know you want to try to... Uh, get as um, let's say propagation as as far as possible i mean that's what kind of lte does and you can get the right. uh, you know these these uh, t- cell towers that are maybe a, a mile apart and you can still get 5g but as you start to get into more closer proximity whether it's uh, uh in subdivisions or even in buildings you may need to go to those higher frequencies yeah
3: yeah i think you know the the interesting thing to me at this point, I, I think five G has lots of potential.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, Internet of Things, all kinds of opportunities there. Uh, you know, health uh, interventions, health inventions, and interventions. Um, I think one of the things that folks are most likely to see is in densely populated urban areas, where there is five G outdoors. You will have a lot less congestion on your network,
2: mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm.
3: You're going to have uh, better data. you get quicker downloads. You'll have less latency, less interference. That's wonderful. Um, the question is, is there is there a way to make that cost effective, right, in a big, broad deployment? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really been the problem all over the world, to be honest, is how do you make it cost effective?
0: And what you're getting at is is, in a way, creating another digital divide, uh, where it's you know evidently not cost effective, and you'll have rural communities that don't have 5G.
3: Exactly true. So it actually exacerbates that divide. And that that's really been my my focus on 5G has a lot to do with the policy side,
2: mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm.
3: the removal of local decision making about. Um, poll attachments and the cost of poll attachments and not allowing cities to say yes or no about where they get placed. And um, for me, that's sort of unprecedented um, that cities lose control of their own right away. And that, for me, was a big part of what got me interested. Mm-hmm. Now,
0: you know, there's this uh, uh, sort of... Um you know great hope that the uh, 5G is going to be able to do all these things i mean and and there are there are a growing uh community of concern about the uh, the health effects of 5G i mean what have you encountered in the circles that you interact with
3: you know i to be honest with you i um for saying what i'm about to tell you i've had death threats so i'm going to tell you that up front but actually um you know you get more Uh, radiation from your cell phone than you're going to get from one of these towers,
2: Mm -hmm. right?
3: You hold your cell phone near your head, you have your cell phone by your bed. Um, That is a greater concern. And there isn't even any data that proves that that causes brain cancer.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm. Uh, So I, you know, the, any, it it has been scientifically disproven that there is evidence that it's bad for you. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I tend not to be worried about that. Um, I know, you know, I, I, my gut says the FCC should study it because the FCC should always study things like this. Right. In part so that we can put to, put to bed some of these rumors that tend to fly around. Um, but I don't believe there's a concern there.
2: Mm-hmm. And so,
3: you know, when folks ask me about that, I tend to be very clear that, this all has been scientifically discredited, and um, I think as long as you are um, using a cell phone, you shouldn't be concerned about a uh, um, 5G device on a pole outside your window.
0: Okay. Well, I I I, I take your advice, and of course, uh, you don't worry about anybody from Hawaii since you're all the way in Chattanooga. So. <laughs> So, you know, um we only got about a minute left and and I I want to have you just share a little bit about what you think the challenges of getting 5G into rural areas are going to be. Is it going to be a mandate or, you know, is there going to be some government subsidies for that?
3: I you know, I would love to see it get to rural areas. I don't feel confident it's coming anytime soon. You know, 2 years ago they said they'd have it by the beginning of 2019 and it, it's 2020. We aren't seeing that happen. I'll tell you where you'll see it first or see it more often, and that's in areas that already have um, fiber built and that are densely populated. That's where you're going to see it. I think the the, the trick with rural America is the only way that 5G works is if it has fiber, and there isn't fiber in rural America, because if there was fiber in rural America, we'd already have solved the digital divide issue.
0: Right. Well, Deb, you know, I'm going to have to end there, and I really appreciate your sharing your thoughts on, on 5G. You know, Deb Sosha is the president and CEO of the Enterprise Center in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Deb, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to ByteMark Cafe. Join us next week when we will talk about uh, getting refurbished computers back into the community. If you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on ByteMarkCafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chung. You can catch us on HBR1 every Wednesday or anytime via the HBR app, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.